Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. Jerry Boyer is with us. Jerry is an economist. He is a uh, podcaster, uh, speaker, financial expert. He lives outside of Pittsburgh with his wife, Susan, and uh, together they produce a, a lot of really necessary, interesting, unique work about the Christian life. And Jerry's with us today to talk about the economy of the crucifixion. Hey, Jerry, uh, welcome. Happy Easter to you. And uh, happy Easter to you as well. Great to be with you. Mm-hmm. All right, Jerry. So when I see the words economy and the crucifixion or economics and the crucifixion in the same sentence, part of me goes, no, wait, this is like this. It shouldn't be that way now. So tell me why I'm wrong. Um, well, you're not wrong that a part of you says it. <laughs> um, um, and I can attest to that because a part of me says it too, uh, because somewhere along the line, and I think it happened pretty early, um, the church imbibed a kind of an otherworldly philosophy of life. Um, and things like money and economics and finance were not um, kingdom-oriented, not yeah. relevant, um, not even necessarily a proper topic for discussion, except to decry them or to, uh, de- you know, declare your superiority to the whole world of money and finance uh, because you're more spiritual. So I think that, you know that kind of installed a little policeman in our heads. Um, who says, don't mix those things together. And then on top of that, you have all sorts of crazy stuff that happens in our generation where you have prosperity preachers with private jets who talk about money all the time. And it's really kind of like a form of Christian magic. You know, if you give to me, then you'll be blessed. It's not work hard. It's not be diligent in your labors. It's not become well-educated. It's not solve problems. It's just give, you know, sow a seed, and then magical things will happen to you, which is really just kind of a manipulative form of fundraising. So that showed up, you know, so before anyone tries to actually do any genuine biblical scholarship about finance and money – We've already had so many of the wrong conversations that we have exactly the emotional response that you're talking about it, and it's perfectly understandable. Mm-hmm. So the relationship between Christianity and money, um, really, it, it, at its core, it can often be super toxic, can it? Yes, and the relationship between Christianity and anything can be super toxic. Um, and Christianity and politics has become incredibly toxic recently. Um, so in Christianity and culture and, um, you know, there's also Christianity is the religion is the true religion. I know some people don't like the word religion. Okay. Don't use that word if you don't want to, but I'm going to use it. Um, Christianity is the true religion. Um, and it's chock full of wonderful things, uh, salvation, redemption, guidance on the moral life, guidance on how to build a civilization. It's got what it's wonderful, but we take these good things And we kind of sideline Christ and make some of these good things the main thing, and then they become idols, and idols, Paul says, that the Corinthians are demons. Um, So when you take the good things about Christianity and uh, out of the context of Jesus as the king, then we turn them into idols, and then you know they produce toxic reactions. But the answer to that, uh, just like in anything in life, the answer is not – to get all like twisted up inside and all worried and kind of jittery every time 
the, the topic comes up, you need to learn to deal with toxic toxicity. There's toxicity in the world, mm-hmm. um, which means there's poison in the world. Jesus is the antidote to the poison. The Bible describing Jesus is the antidote to the poison. So don't leave the bi- don't leave the bottle stopped up. You know, <laughs> open it up and drink the antidote. And if you do that, and you understand money and economics and finance and business through Jesus's eyes, then we can cure the toxicity of the money discussion. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense, Jerry. And, you know, that's the case with, not to go down a tangent, but that's just a case with every blockage or resistance we have, right? We were talking about, you know, uh, psychology or psychiatry a little before you came on because we were talking about sleep disorders. And, you know, you can run away from whatever your issues are, right? You can pretend like they're not there. You don't want to deal with them. God doesn't have anything to do. The only way that you're going to, you know, have any hope of fixing them is you just have to meet them head on. You have to say things as they are, Right. Um, and so it's yeah. silly for us. To, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and, and Holy Week, Jesus does that to every problem humanity faces. Mm-hmm. When he sets his face towards Jerusalem uh, and towards the cross, he is dealing with everything. He's dealing with money. He's dealing with politics. He's dealing with religion. He's dealing with sociology. He's dealing with psychology. He's dealing with demonology. He's dealing with physiology. There's no... There's no aspect of the toxicity or fallenness or poisonness or brokenness, whatever biblical analogy you want to use. There, there's, there's none of that is left out because if any of it was left out, then that means Jesus didn't redeem it, which means that his work to put everything right to create a new heavens and a new earth is unaddressed. So if you have shame issues, and that stops you from sleeping at night, well, if Jesus didn't hang naked on a cross, his shame exposed, then that means Jesus never dealt with shame. And if Jesus never dealt with shame, then one of the enemies was never faced and never defeated. So if we think there's something wrong with economics and money, then we need Jesus to have been in the middle of economics and money in order to bear away the sins of the world. Are some of the sins of the world economic and financial sins? Yes. Well, then, if he didn't deal with that, he didn't bear away all of the sins of the world then, did he? No. Okay, so then, Jerry, uh, just this past Sunday, uh, we celebrate uh, Jesus riding into Jerusalem. He's a hero, right? People are cheering, yelling. The very next day, Jesus shows up at the temple and he's flipping over the money changers tables. He is going directly to the heart of the economy and that puts him on the radar and starts all the trouble. Yeah. Yes. And that's one of the key points at which they decided to kill him. Um, So, I mean, look, the, the, the triumphal procession was problematic for the ruling elites. They didn't like it. Um, And to be clear, if if he's coming in on palm branches, right. Um, and see, what do we think of when we think of Jesus coming in on palm branches? We think of Palm Sunday. We right. think of, like, when I was a little kid at church, they handed out palm branches, and my brother and I sword fight. We, saw, we did sword fighting with the palm branches. Right. And then the moms and the grandmoms said, no, don't do that. And it's like, in some sense, we were more right um, because this is about swords. Um, when Judas Maccabeus, the great conqueror, entered Jerusalem as a great conqueror, they threw palm branches in front of him. So if they're throwing palm branches in front of, of in front of Jesus, they are reenacting. You know, people do civil war reenactment reenactments. Yeah. They mm-hmm. are doing a reenactment of the birth of Jewish nationalism. Judas Maccabeus 
Um, he's not in the Bible, or he's not in the Protestant Bible. He's in the Catholic Bible, Maccabees, or, or it was called the Apocrypha. Um, Judas Maccabeus kicked out the Greek pagans uh, through military force, and he then rides triumphant into Jerusalem, and they put palm branches under his feet to celebrate his military victory. So when they're saying, Hosanna to the son of David, and they're throwing down palm branches— they're not thinking about Palm Sunday. None of them went to church when they were kids. <laughs> they went to synagogue and learned about Judas Maccabeus and how he killed the, the, the filthy pagans and you know, took their, you know, their pig sacrifices out of the temple and cleansed the temple. Um, and by the way, just a, a little point here that I think a lot of people miss, Hosanna to the son of David. I always thought Hosanna kind of meant like yippee, like a religious kind of yahoo, yippee, great, good. Hosanna means save me, save us, mm -hmm. God. So it's a cry for help. It's not a cry of celebration. So the son of David, what does it mean to the son of David? It means he's the rightful king. So they're saying, rightful king, be like Judas Maccabeus, save us. Save us from what? Save us from the Romans and the Herodians. Kill them and drive them out. That's Palm Sunday. Hmm. Jerry Boyer is with us. Uh, we're talking about the economics of the crucifixion. All right. So if, um, if the people who were lauding Jesus, um, asking him to save them on Palm Sunday, um, if, that was a, if that was a thing that happened in the attitude of the people there and their heart's longing or their, the longing of you know, themselves and the situation they found themselves in, then let's uh, go, like John said, to the next day and talk about, you know, Jesus being in the temple and overturning the tables. Um, and then when that's done, welcoming the lame and the blind in. Um, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that Jesus is not ignoring the social dimension of things. Um, now, he, he doesn't ride in on a steed. Jesus is smart. You know, he rides in um, on a donkey or a foal, you know, different translations. So Jesus is signaling, I don't want to be a military conqueror. Um, I know you want me to be, but I don't want to be. Uh, but Jesus is also going to the heart of evil, um, and the temple is the heart of evil, uh, which is why God abandons it. Jesus said, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Um, so the center of religious exploitation and the center of financial and economic exploitation was the temple. Uh, the money changers were a real key part of that. And that's why when Jesus confronts the money changers, what does he call them? A den of what? A den of heretics? No. A den of blasphemers? No. Um, you know, a, a den of idolaters? No. He calls them a den of robbers. robbers. He zones in on their, on their financial and economic sin. They are ripping the people off in very specific ways that we can talk about that are recorded in history that generally, though, doesn't show up in sermons. So what Jesus says is, you know, you've turned the, you know, the house of my father into a den of robbers. And I, I really want to dig a little deeper into that because I appreciate the fact that you, he, like, he didn't say you've turned my father's house into a den of heretics or, you know, a den of, you know, uh, bad musicians or, you know, uh, people who slack, who like people who slack on their jobs or adulterers or, you know, whatever it is, he see, particularly says dens of robbers. So, so people were being ripped off. Um, what were the people who were running those tables taking from the people? Yeah. See, I mean, there were nine other commandments he could have accused them of breaking, yeah, but right. he, he's, he's, he zones in on thou shalt not steal. 
Um, so let's take him at his word. I mean, he's the Lord. Uh, let's give him, the, let's give him uh, you know, the credit he's due and, and, and believe that he told the truth, even if that's uncomfortable for us, even if we think it's about something else. Um, and so how are they robbers? I'll spare you the details. I'll spare you the many hours I've done grinding through the details of the drachma and the didrachma <laughs> and the stotter and the becca and the shekel and the suklos and all these ancient coins and tell you that if you read um, the Old Testament, when, that, when the tax – when say we have this specification of the uh, shekel, which is used in the temple tax, we know how much that weighed because the Bible tells us. And then you go to the New Testament times, and it weighs twice as much, which means that when you bring your pagan money to the money changers, you have to spend twice as much pagan silver to get a shekel to use in the temple as you are giving up uh, or as you're gaining. In other words, you have to pay double. Right now, uh, we think of coins as largely a coin's worth what's stamped on it. Is it a, is it a, you know, is it a penny or is it a nickel or sure. is it a dime? But ancient people understand. And actually, us before 1971, we understood yeah. that these were units of a precious metal. They actually, right? it actually meant something. It actually, it, it was a certain amount of silver. So you take your pagan silver there to the temple because you want to be a good Jew and w worship the Lord and make sacrifices and pay your temple tax. And you say, well, here's my pagan silver. Oh, no, no, we can't use that filthy pagan silver. Um, you have to turn that into a shekel. Okay, well, you know, here's eight ounces of silver. Give me a, a, a pagan silver. Give me eight ounces of holy silver. Oh, no, no, you're going to get four ounces. So you got to give me twice as much. They, they had a – the rate of exchange, you know, you go on vacation uh, to another country, Canada, and you get the local money. Well, when that's done, that rate of exchange is fair. They're actually giving you the you know, value for value. But they had changed the rules so that you had to pay twice as much. Mm. So every time you have financial dealings with the temple, you have a 100 percent upsell. So it's not like you go to the ATM and you, you, know, you want $100 and you pay a dollar for the transaction fee. No, this ATM, you want $100, you pay $200 to get $100 in order to be faithful to the temple and to the traditions and to the Torah. That's the ripoff, and it involves everything at the temple because none of the temple was running on pagan money. We can't have that. Uh, we have to have shekels. Um, so any financial dealings with the temple automatically were double the price. And that, that, by the way, that explains why it's really odd in the gospel accounts. Jesus singles out the dove merchants in the mm -hmm. synoptic gospels except Luke and in John's gospel. Why does he single out the dove merchants? I mean, other, other animals are mentioned, but he singles out the dove, mer uh, the dove merchants because the doves were the – sacrifice that the Torah allowed for somebody who couldn't afford a lamb. So the, dove, the people who were doing dove sacrifices were less financially able to handle the economic exploitation. So if somebody tells me there's nothing economic going on here, then I want you to explain that the one category of animal he calls out, of animal broker he calls out, is distinguished by the fact that it's the sacrifice of the poor. Interesting. So then essentially, Jerry, the, the house was rigged, right? I mean, 
if this was a, a Martin Scorsese film, Casino, I mean, everybody sees this as just dirty business. Yeah, I, I think casinos are great. Uh, but it's but uh, I mean, with casinos, at least, you know, the dollar buys you the right amount of chips. In this case, you bring your dollars and you get, you know, you bring $50 and you get a $25 chip. <laughs> I mean, it's a, in some ways, it's kind of worse than a casino. But here's the way it's really much worse than a casino. No casino that I know in the world says, I am the house of Yahweh. No casino is branded God's casino. I know maybe there are. I mean, who knows in this crazy world? But I don't know of any. This right. casino had Yahweh's brand on it. It had his. It literally said, "I will put my name in the midst of them," and that's why Jesus was consumed with anger. Jesus isn't generally an angry guy in the Gospels. You know, he's he's, got, he's a compassionate person for the most part. But this is too much. His father's name. Um, is basically being used as the major point of ripoff in the whole economy. Um, that's just God. It matters to God how his name is received in the world, not because God needs to us to think well of him, but because we need to think well of God because he's the answer. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. God's brand is tarnished, yeah. we're doomed. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. God is angry that his brand is tarnished, not for his sake, but for our sake. Jerry Boyer is with us, financial economist, public speaker for business conferences, frequent radio, TV guest, author, journalist, you name it. And a great new um, book, and has Maker got a great Versus new book. the Takers. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, as, as you're talking, and I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed thinking about the wretchedness of mankind, that we would turn, you know, the, the holiest place of God into some kind of, you know, uh, you know, crazy money changing empire. But, you know, the sadness is that this sounds a lot like the sex abuse scandals in the church. Now, it sounds a lot like the, you know, um, the, the financial gain. So the, the, you know, the prosperity gospel, it just it, like the thought that the worst excesses of the human uh, condition could be on display in churches. I mean, I, I, you know, as Bill's saying, optimisma permissima, the the corruptia uh, optimisma permissima, the corruption of the best is the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is supposed to be the this is supposed to be the house of God on earth. This is supposed to be where heaven and earth overlap, um, and it's not heaven on earth; it's hell, really. Um, and no surprise that God allows it to be torn down by the Romans, uh, you know, completely destroyed. And Jesus, after seeing this. Um, and then we see that nice little story about the, the, the woman, the, the widow, who gives her last mite to the temple, yeah. uh, you know, used as a fundraising verse by people who do not understand what's going on here. Uh, Jesus looks at that and is offended, not by her, but by the people who, would, who are the devourers of widows' houses. And he storms out of the temple, and he's so obviously angry that, they, that the, the disciples nervously say, well, isn't this a beautiful temple? Now look at these stones, and Jesus says, I tell you truly, not one will be left standing upon another. Um, so this religious ripoff thing cannot stand, and it's not standing in our day. I mean God is taking away lampstands, um, whether yeah, it's sexual really. abuse or money abuse, and they almost always go, go together. If, I, if you give me the power to uh, – if you make me a god in your life, I will take whatever I can get. All humans will. Power corrupts. Um, so if you make someone a God in your life, 
they're going to – I mean it, they, God even warns them when they want a king, Samuel, like the other nations. What does he say the king's going to do? He's going to take your money, um, he's gonna, and he's going to take your daughters. <laughs> I mean that's the nature mm. of pagan leadership, and that even applies to celebrity ministers. I'm into that. Jerry, always a pleasure. Really fascinating. Really good. You Thanks, bring Jerry. a very unique perspective and uh, always so happy that you share it with us. Uh, happy Easter to you and yours, my friend. And to you you and yours, Christos and Esteem. Yes. Jerry Boyer, the maker versus the takers. What Jesus really said about social justice and economics. His brand new work, Jerry Boyer, you can find him. He uh, publishes at Affluent Investor and is active on Facebook. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today.